Welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join Dr. Jacob Koshy for his message. How's everyone? <laughs> it's great to have you guys in church this morning. It's great to be in church on this nice cool morning. Some people were telling me that uh, people who come from interstate they can't believe how cold it gets in Alice. Hey. And sometimes you come it's a rude shock. Well, you know, uh, growing old can have its joys, isn't it? And it can also have a few challenges, yeah? Well, at a neighborhood get-together, the women were chatting in one part of the house while the men were together in another. And one man was impressed with the manner in which an elderly gentleman referred to his wife. He commented, after so many years, it's so nice to hear you use such endearing terms like dearie and sweetheart and honey when speaking about your wife. <laughs> well, to tell the truth, the old man said, I forgot her name about 10 years ago. <laughs> it's another one about growing old. This one's just for you, Margaret. Two elderly friends decided to play a round of golf. At the first hole, one said to the other, since my eyesight has been failing, would you keep an eye on my ball for me? The other man said, of course, my eyesight is fine. Go ahead, hit the ball. The first man teed off, then turned to the other and asked, did you see where it went? He said, yes, I did. Well, where did it go? I can't remember. <laughs> That's where you Sam. she get older. That's what happens. <laughs> well, you know, for a few weeks I've been, um, actually it's been more than that, you know. I, I, as I was reading the word of God, I came across uh, a person I have read about for a long time. But I was just taken by the remarkableness of this, of this man of God. And, uh, you know, if I was to ask you... Apart from Jesus, who was the greatest man or woman in the Bible? Who would come to your mind as you think about that? Who do you think? And you'll all have different people, I'm sure. Some people will think of Moses or Joshua, Esther, David, Daniel. Yet you know what? There is one man Jesus himself describes as the greatest born among women. There is no one greater than he born among women. Do you know who that was? John the Baptist. Yeah, so I have a few slides just to make it easy for people to follow. And I'll just go to the first one where it talks about what Jesus says about him. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Then he goes on to say one more thing. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So what made this man great? Was it the fact that he was a cousin of Jesus? Was it because, of he, because he had an, an incredible, unique dress sense? <laughs> he wore uh, clothes made of camel's hair and uh, it was quite trendy, I think, in those days. He had a leather belt and everything. Or was it his special diet? Yeah, he had an incredible diet. Locusts and wild honey. And I imagine that would have been really, really healthy. If anyone wants to try that, you know, be my guest. But I, I really don't think I would. But, 
But that's what he, he ate and, and was it that? Was it his diet or was it his preaching style? You know, he was a man who was out in the wilderness shouting out and, 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 and berating the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and people who came to him and, and unafraid to shout at them and tell them what he thought of them. Was it or any of those things? You know, when we think about the time in which John and Jesus' ministry was starting, I think it's important for us to recognize what, what the, the, the environment was at the time. We know that Israel was suffering both politically and, and spiritually. There was a lot of oppression in the land. There were very corrupt priestly people. You know, the, 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 their leaders were all wicked there was widespread ignorance. There was, there was a lot of turning away from God. And the people were longing. There was a longing in their hearts for some sort of freedom. Someone who would come and deliver. Someone who would come and show them the way out. And they had all these stories of old told of the Messiah who would come. And, and, and maybe he would be the one who would free them from all this, this oppression that they were feeling. And then John bursts onto the scene. For 400 years plus, there has been no prophet in the land. There has been no word from God. And suddenly, out of the wilderness, out in the wilderness it starts. This man of God begins preaching. And he begins a, a message of, of incredible power where he's talking about the need to come back to repentance. The need to change. And he was an overnight sensation. His preaching style, the power and the authority with which he spoke. People began crowding to hear him. People began to realize this was something special about this man. And they began to think in their hearts even, could this be, could this be the way he spoke, the, the authority he had, could this be possibly the Messiah we've been waiting for? Repent was his message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And, it, and, and this is the one of whom it was spoken in Isaiah where it said, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This was a remarkable man with a remarkable ministry. And in the short time that he had, he fulfilled his ministry. So I, I want to look at a few things that I think make this man remarkable that would cause Jesus, that would cause Jesus to call him one of the greatest men born of women. You know, I think that we live in a period in time similar in a sense to what he lived in. There is a lot of oppression. There is a lot of things that are going wrong in the world. The church is slowly being pushed down. The voice of the church is being hammered down and, and forcibly being quietened by people on all sides. We are unable to, even though there is this talk about freedom of speech and, and the ability to speak what you feel, yet if anyone says anything that is contrary to public opinion, you are shouted down and you are considered a bigot and your voice has no value, your opinion has no place in society, is what they tell us. And yet they say, oh, there has to be freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of expression. We need people like John the Baptist 
to rise up. We need a church to understand her true calling. To be that voice in the wilderness that will call out, repent and turn back to God. Unafraid and unashamed of what God is asking us to say. So I want to look at a few things that make John remarkable. So the first thing, shall we go to slide number one? Was the incredible fact that he was spirit-filled. In Luke chapter 1 verse 15, it says, For he will be great in the sight of... Sorry, is that the one? It's a different one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And this is the message that he will bring. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, filled with the spirit. I think this was a key, a key aspect of the power that was there in John. The power that that characterized his ministry, the power that characterized his incredibly powerful teaching it was because he was a man who had a special anointing by the spirit of God you know as a church we say we are a Pentecostal church and as a Pentecostal church we believe in the baptism of the spirit and I believe that we cannot we cannot emphasize more and more the, the need we have as a church. If we are going to be effective, if we are going to be bold and courageous, if we are going to have a ministry that is able to reach people, then I believe we need to be people who are anointed. We are people who need to be filled with the Spirit. People who will move in the power of the Spirit. People who are able to not only declare the gospel, but people who are able to move with signs and wonders that are possible with the Spirit of God living in us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you that you agree with me. (laughs) You know, most Christians, we tend to minimize the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. And I think that is a shame because we are losing, we are not, we, we don't realize the incredible power that is available to us. And so we continue to live lives that are mediocre. We continue to live uh, lives that, that do not minister at the strength and power God intends for us. And I think it is time that we as a church and we as the bride of Christ begin to recognize where God wants us to be, how he wants us to be, and how we can be that incredible, powerful voice for him in this time, in this situation right now. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, to be filled with the Spirit, we need to be we need to have our every area. You know, I, I, I loved what, what we, we were singing about even in worship. You know, this, this fact that we are standing in the presence of God and we are opening up our lives to God and we are saying, like Hannah said, there is nothing that I am going to hold back from you. Holy Spirit, I want you to take charge of every aspect of my life. There will be no veil between me and you. There will be no part of my life that does not that you will not have access to. No secret places, no secret things that I will not allow you to have access into, whether it be sin, whether it be shame, whether it be things of my past. I will open myself up 
to the spirit of god to move in me to to completely open my me up to the to the move of god in my life there cannot be hidden areas in our lives that prevent god from being able to move and use us to the maximum potential he has for us you know andrew murray said may not a single moment of my life be spent outside the light love and joy of god's presence and not a moment without the entire surrender of myself as a vessel for him to fill full of his spirit and his love you know one of the greatest preachers of the last century we'd say was was dr martin lloyd jones and and he describes a stunning personal experience where he feels the holy spirit's empowering and he says never do i think have i been so conscious of the power of the word and the gale or the power of the spirit and it is exceedingly difficult to go on living after such an experience especially difficult to go on preaching when you have felt the power of the holy spirit come upon you when you have felt that anointing on your life and you recognize the power that is available to you you can never be the same again Amen. and this is what the listeners of john the baptist experienced when they when they heard him preach they heard someone they were captivated by his preaching they were they were captivated by the power and the authority that he had because why because this was a man unlike anyone they had listened to so far this was a man who was walking and moving completely guided completely in, in uh, empowered by the holy spirit himself <laughs> launching into his ministry with with the authority that has been given to him by the by the almighty god himself that is why in jesus own words he says there was no one greater than john the baptist can we go on to the next slide please The second thing I think of that makes this man of God incredibly great is the fact that he lived a separated life. You know it says as the child grew, isn't it? And as the child grew and became strong in spirit, he lived in the wilderness and he and then he appeared publicly to Israel. And so during the high priesthood of Anna and Caiaphas the word of God came to John son of Zechariah in the wilderness he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet the word came to him in the wilderness in the wilderness I think this there was a, there was an aspect of God, of John's life where there was a time of preparation and when you talk about wilderness you are you have the sense of being separated a sense of being away from all the other influences around you and i think that is a vital absolutely vital part of our lives if we are to be effective in whatever ministry god has called us to there has to be a separation in our lives i don't mean we go out into the wilderness go to go up to go up mount sonda for example and stay away for a month or two months or whatever time it takes listening to god and being away from everyone else no 
That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a separation from the things of the world where there is a clear delineation between what I accept, who I am, what I am, and there is a difference to the things of the world. Where what the world says and what the world thinks is normal and acceptable is not acceptable and normal to one who calls himself a child of God. There has to be a separation. And unfortunately, those lines are constantly getting more and more blurred. We think we need to conform. We think we need to be like people around us. Otherwise, we won't be accepted. I agree there has to be some degree of acceptance. People have to look at you and people can't look at you walking down the streets wearing camel's hair and leather belts and eating locusts and wild honey. No one will want to listen to you. I I imagine that for sure. But that doesn't mean that you bend and you turn and you, you, you begin to pander to what people want you to do so that you can be seen as cool or accepted by people around you. There is a reason God has called us and said, I have set you apart. I have set you apart. You look at amazing, incredible men of God, powerful men of God in the Bible. They've all had a period where they were separated. You look at Moses. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness and they say it was to get Egypt out of him. (laughs) You look at people like the Apostle Paul who spent years again in the wilderness. Three years, they say, before he came out into public ministry. Because there was a time he needed to be separate. Say, to get the, 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 the religiosity out of him. You know, religion out of him. Separation is a key element of God preparing us to go into the world with his message. Even when, when John the Baptist is given instructions by Zechariah, his fathers, he says he will be strong before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. It was almost like a Nazarite vow, similar to the one Samson had in the Old Testament. Insulate, be in the world, but not of the world, you know? G.K. Chesterton says, the world is not changed by giving into it, but by the saint that contradicts it the most. We are going to have to contradict the world. We are going to have to say, no, that is not normal. That is not what the word of God says. We are going to have to say no to certain things the world is beginning to say is normal. And this is how it has been. This is biology. This is what everyone says it should be. But there are certain things we can still say no. I do not accept it. Because that is not what the word of God says. God is asking us. To be a people who will be unafraid to contradict. Where we need to contradict He lived a separated life. I know it's hard. And I know it's hard to believe, but especially for the young people. I'm looking at you guys, and I, I, I feel your pain. There was a time when we were young too. There was a time we were teenagers. And we, oh yeah, I know it is hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> 
But we did. We did go through the same struggles you guys go through. And the need to be able to identify with your friends, the need to be cool. You don't have to even try, my friend, Obert. You just ooze coolness. Yeah? But, you know, I think that sometimes your friends will respect you if you can say no. No to the ways that some people say things are okay. The things we do are okay. You can say no. And, and if you stand by your convictions and what you believe, even though it may seem hard and they may, they may uh, not accept you for a while, they will respect you. Believe me, they will respect you. You know, when I was in medical school, there was a time when we had a, we had, there was an issue in the college, in the university. And everyone said we had to go on strike. We had to, we had to say why we are going to stand up against all this, this injustice or something. I don't know what it was, but, but it was a weird thing. And, and I felt convicted that I shouldn't, that it wasn't the Christian thing to do when everyone said we should just go and strike, not go to class, not turn up to class. So a few of us decided we wouldn't. It was a hard decision because the majority said we had to stay away from class. But there were a few of us who went. And so for a number of months, we were then shunned by the rest of them. And they, and they made life hard. And they, they said, you do not stand with us and you do not do this, you do not do that. But in my heart, I knew that that was what I knew was the right thing to do as a Christian. And eventually they came around. And, and they were, they said, some of those guys, uh, they, they respect me immensely today because of the decision we made that day, because we stood by what we believed. And so if you will stand by what you believe, they will respect you. They will respect you, believe me. The next thing I want to talk about is the fact that he was steadfast. He was steadfast in his stand. Now, I don't know, you, this, I'm sorry that that picture is a bit small, but when I think of steadfastness, steadfastness is the ability to, to stay the, the journey, to remain strong, to remain committed, to continue to do what you want to do, uh, unfailingly, uncompromisingly, continuing to do what you do every single day, without fail and without uh, stopping. This man, he, he lived in a very remote, poor part of India, and many of you have never heard of him. Even I hadn't heard of him till maybe a few months ago. His name is Dashrath Manji. Dashrath Manji. The incredible story of this man's life is the fact that he lived in this little village. And what separated his village from access to uh, the town nearby was a massive rock. And he was, a, he was a laborer, he was a farmer who worked on someone else's farm. And one day while working, he, his, I mean, his wife used to bring him his lunch. And so as she was bringing lunch to him, she slipped and fell and was terribly injured. And it took about three or four hours for them to be able to get his wife to medical help. Because to get to the town, like I said, there was that big rock there and they had to go around the rock. It was a 40-mile journey. What should have taken only half an hour would take them three to four hours because they had to go around the rock. And his wife died because she couldn't get to medical help in time. So this man said, no one in my village should ever have to go through what I went through. 
And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a way through the rock. So, with a hammer and a chisel, he began chipping away at the rock. Everyone in his village laughed at him. They said, are you crazy? How are you going to make a way through the rock? It took him 22 years. 22 years. But he made a way through the rock. And eventually the villagers also began to see that he was beginning to make headway. They joined him and they helped create that way through the rock. Which meant that they were then able to access medical help within half an hour what would have taken them three to four hours or even just access to the town. But the government then eventually stepped in and they have now got a really good road through that. But an incredible story of a man who chose, you know, and I think nothing else will, you know, just comes to mind when I think of someone who will be steadfast in doing something that seems like an impossible task, but to continue to do it day in, day out without fail. John the Baptist was like that. Let's go to the next slide. He was uncompromising and he was steadfast in his stand. It did not matter who he was speaking to. It did not matter whether he was speaking to the, the, the soldiers of the time, whether the poor people, his message never changed. And it was uncompromising. You brood of vipers, who asked you to come and flee from the, from the, from the coming wrath? We also hear in Luke 117 that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was known for his bold and uncompromising stand for the word of God. And you remember what Elijah was like when he confronted Ahab and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Well, John had the same boldness. In Luke 319, we read that Herod was rebuked by him. Yeah? Yeah? Concerning the fact that he had married his brother's wife. And, and when it says rebuked by John, it is not just a single time event of being rebuked by John and then Herod gets angry with him. But in the actual sense of the word that is used, it is a continuous sense or tense. So that it was something that John constantly talked about. He said, Herod, you have, what you have done is wrong. What you have done is wrong. And he continued to confront Herod with the wrong, with the sin that he had committed. Because of which Herod finally threw him into prison. John was bold. He was bold. Let's go to the next step. Next slide, sorry. I want to point out something fascinating about boldness. It's used only four times in the Old Testament. Boldness or courage. And it's, it's hardly ever used in any of the Gospels. But after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, boldness or courage is used 24 times in the rest of the New Testament to describe Christians. And the majority of those instances, it is a description of Christians sharing the Gospel. For example, Peter and John were arrested for preaching the Gospel. And when they appear before the Sanhedrin... It says that the, the, they perceived, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished at the boldness of Peter and John. The next slide. And after Peter and John had been released from prison, they went back to report to the other Christians what had happened to them. 
And it says the entire church prayed and included the following petition in their prayers. It says, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And it says, after the church finished praying, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness. Does that statement describe you? Do you speak the word of God with boldness? Do you share the gospel with other people? Sometimes we think, oh, the sharing of the gospel is not, the sharing of the gospel is not my spiritual gift. It is for the evangelists. It's for other people. You have a ministry. A ministry of just being able to talk to people about this incredible man called Jesus who is able to save them from their sins. It is a privilege The fact that you have a message that can transform the lives of people. A message that can change the destiny of a person from eternal death to eternal life. What an incredible privilege you and I have. And it isn't a privilege many people have. But why are we afraid? Why are we afraid? Why are we scared to even share this? It doesn't have to be a big, great message of how John shared. Repent for the day of God. The Lord is at hand. No, it doesn't have to be that. It, all it has to be is just you coming alongside someone and telling them your story. That's all it takes. And that can change their lives forever. But can you pray? Can you pray that God will give you the boldness and the courage to do that? There was a time when the church was very powerful. When the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. And whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power in the town became disturbed because of the influence Christians had when they came into a town through their words, through their actions, and through the way they lived. And so they would immediately convict the Christians and they were called disturbers of the peace or outside agitators. But you know what? The contemporary church now is a weak and ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. Martin Luther King said, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity. It will forfeit the loyalty of millions and it will be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. I need to go to the next point. Fourth thing, and we'll end with this, is the fact that John was submissive to God's will. John recognized very early in his life God's call on his life and he gave himself completely to it. This is one aspect of John that I so greatly admire and something that really, really struck me as soon as I started reading about him. The fact that he understood absolutely and completely what his role was. Nothing more, nothing less. 
He refused to accept names and titles that men tried to put on him. And I want you to think again. Remember what I shared about the the incredibly uh, difficult times that they were living in. And when John comes with this powerful word and powerful message. And you have throngs of people coming to hear him. People who are willing to listen. And you are seeing these incredible conversions. You are seeing the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the priests, the, the, the soldiers. Everyone coming and... It was in the thousands, thousands of people in those days coming to listen to John. But would he let that get to his head? Would that let him even consider the fact that maybe, oh, my ministry has expanded. What I need to do is now create a mega church. Maybe we should create franchises around Jerusalem and start a church in Nazareth. John the Baptist, church of John the Baptist in Nazareth, in Galilee, in, in, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. No. When the Pharisees and all came to him. And they said who are you? He confessed and he did not deny. But he confessed I am not the Christ. And they asked them what then? Are you Elijah? And he said yes I've come in the power of Elijah. Can't you see it? He says no I am not. Are you the prophet? He says no. Who are you? He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. In John 3.30, and I, I, I need to read this passage to you. It says, after this, John chapter 3, verse 22 to 30. There may be a slide on that. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim. Because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. And an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. It is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Isn't that incredible? That is what attracts me to this man of God more than anything else is the fact that this was a man who was completely humble. A man who understood what his role was. And even when his disciples are beginning to leave him, going to Jesus, that doesn't stop him. That doesn't cause him to become uh, afraid and, and, and you know, worried about, about the loss of his influence over his disciples and the loss of his ministry. Because essentially, from the time Jesus was baptized, the ministry of John began to decline. And that was the end of his ministry. And yet here was a man who was completely comfortable with what his role was. I must decrease, he must increase. I'm going to close with just this last story, but we can get the team to come up. It says, in the early years of the 19th century, there were troubled times in the German Confederation, 
and there were rumors of revolution and rioting and thousands of young men were drafted into the army to guard the borders and put down internal revolts and all across the countryside young men in uniform tramped off to an unknown destiny in one german village stood a grand old stone wall church and and with an ornately carved facade beautifully stained glass and a stately pipe organ the organ was famed throughout the region for its beautiful rich tone one day the aged caretaker of the church was interrupted during his chores by a knock on the great oak door of the sanctuary he opened the door to find a young man in uniform on the steps sir i have a favor to ask the young soldier began would you please permit me to play the organ for one hour i'm sorry young man the caretaker replied no one but our own organist is permitted to play the organ but sir I've heard so much about the organ of this church and I've walked so many miles just to see it just to play it for a single hour. The aged man paused then shook his head sadly. Please, the soldier pleaded. My commander gave me a 24-hour leave time and in a few more days we move to another province where the fighting is expected to be heavy. This may be the last chance in my life to play the organ. The caretaker reluctantly nodded. He swung the door open and beckoned the soldier inside. Then he took a key from his pocket, held it out to the soldier. The organ is locked, he said. Here is the key. The soldier took the key, unlocked the ornate cabinet of the organ, then he began to play. A billow of majestic chords rolled from the great golden pipes of the organ. The caretaker stood transfixed as the glorious music washed over him bringing tears to his eyes. He moved to one of the pews and sat down as if entranced. Within minutes people from the village gathered at the church doorway and peered in. Removing their hats the villagers stepped into the sanctuary and sat down to listen. Streams of beautiful music filled the sanctuary for one hour. Then the gifted fingers of the organist struck a final chord and lifted from the keyboard. The young man closed and locked the keyboard cabinet. As he stood and turned, he was surprised to see that the church had nearly filled with parishioners who had laid aside their chores to listen to his music. Humbly receiving their compliments, the young soldier walked down the center aisle to return the key to the caretaker. "Thank you," the young man whispered. The old man rose to his feet and took the key. "Thank you," he answered, grasping the young soldier's gifted hands. "Young man, that was the most beautiful music these old ears have ever heard. What is your name?" "My name is Felix," replied the doctor, replied the soldier, "Felix Mendelssohn." The old caretaker's eyes widened as he realized whose hands he grasped. The hands of the young man who before he was 20 years old had become one of the most celebrated composers on the European continent. The old man's gaze followed the young soldier as he left the church and disappeared into the village street. To think, the old man wondered aloud, the master was here and I almost failed to give him the key. the master was here and i almost failed to give him the key
We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.